Praise the Lord. Let's continue in that attitude of prayer. Let's ask God to continue to prepare us. Father, that your word will impart grace, O Lord God, today as it comes. Impart grace unto every hearer, O Lord God, including me. Father, I pray, Lord God, let your grace come forth in all our lives in the name of Jesus as your word come forth. Father, that we who are formed in your image, you have formed us in your image, O Lord God. You have formed us in your likeness. Lord, that as your word comes, we will confirm to the likeness of your Son in the name of Jesus. Lord, that your word will transform my mind, transform the mind of each of the hearers, my brothers and sisters seated here, O Lord God, that your word will transform in the name of Jesus, that you will transform our thoughts, you will transform our attitudes through your word, O Lord God, and make us more and more like your son in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your presence over here, O Lord God, and we thank you because you are here moving in our midst. You are here to break yokes in our midst today. Father, we bless you, Lord God. We bless you for your move in our midst once again. We thank you for your love in our midst once again. We bless you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have asked and we have prayed. Amen and amen. Now, there was a parting challenge a couple of weeks ago when uh, Brother, Sally, Brother Peter and Sister Sally were here in our midst. As they were closing, they were asking us, the Lord was speaking to us, are we bold enough to teach suffering to our children? Are we bold enough to teach suffering to our children? Which bids another question, are we bold enough to learn suffering in order that we may teach? And our pastor was teaching us last week to be born again means to live in the anticipation of the kingdom of God. And the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, to live in anticipation of the kingdom of heaven, there is a cost involved. A cost of discipleship in which suffering is not excluded. Suffering is rather ingrained. It was St. Augustine who said, God had one son on earth. God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. Never one without suffering. And so, with the help of the Spirit of God, I'd like us to meditate on this topic, fellowship through sufferings. Fellowship through sufferings, desiring God through undesirable sufferings. Desiring God through undesirable sufferings. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 21 
where there's a picture of a not so pleasant, very undesirable suffering that the Lord wants us to look to and learn something from it. Second Samuel chapter 1, I'll ask Brother Shashi to read. Second Samuel chapter 21. Second Samuel chapter 21 from verse 1 to 14 from NKJV. It reads like this. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. And the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of Amorites, the children of Israel, had sworn protection to them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Therefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, We will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, Whatever you say, I will do for you. Then they answered the king, as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the, and the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephiposheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took Armoni and Mephiboseth, the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she bought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Meholathite. And he delivered them to the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock. From the beginning of the harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, or nor the beasts of the field by night. And David was told, what Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, the concubine of Saul, had done, that David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh Gilead, who had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them up, after the Philistines had struck down Saul in Gilboa. So he bought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there, and they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son in the country of Benjamin, in Zelah, in the tomb of Kish his father. So they performed all that the king commanded, and after that, God heeded the prayer for the land. Amen. Now, this passage, uh, it's a very difficult passage for one to digest. But there are some vague things in this passage as well. The, the, the passage is not very specific about when this has happened. It says in the days of David, it doesn't point to a, a place, right? But you see, somebody is very much disadvantaged over there. 
You see, Rispa, the concubine of Saul, for the purpose of avenging the blood of Gibeonites, David offers them over there. You see disadvantaged suffering over there. You see very unpleasant things happening, very appalling things happening over there. Now, those things, the Bible, it is mentioned not for us to wrangle about the righteousness of men, not for us to, to understand the failings of a certain man or a group of people, but for us to understand what God wants, the attributes of God through all this, what he wants to learn and what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us in times such as this. We see sufferings all around, right? Some of them we can't grapple, we can't understand, just like what we have seen here. We are not able to fully understand. But let's look at what God wants us to learn through it. You see, the undesirable suffering of Rispa. It was a suffering that had not encountered the comfort of God. It was a suffering which was where she was notably disadvantaged. Notably disadvantaged. Her suffering was marked by a position of helplessness, a position of voicelessness. Why? She and her sons were a victim of David's predicament. David's predicament. David had made two covenants. One with Saul. Turn, me, turn with me to 1 Samuel 24. 21 to 22. 1 Samuel 24, 21 to 22 reads, Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul and Saul sent, went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Yes, this was when David was being chased by Saul. Saul knew that God was going to make David king. And Saul sought a covenant with David, saying that you will not cut off my descendants after me. But even before this, look at 1 Samuel 20, verse 14 to 17. 1 Samuel 20, verse 14 This is David's covenant with Jonathan. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan against cause, again caused David to vow, because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now see, how David came to this dilemma, we will see a little later. But you see the plight of Rispa over there? She found herself as a victim of David's helplessness. Sometimes sufferings become undesirable for us when we are victims of someone else's helplessness. What else was she? She was disadvantaged. She was also distressed. You see, it was an intense and prolonged agony attached to her suffering. A suffering that seemed unending for her. If you look at that passage closely, verses 9 and 10 of 2 Samuel 21, those sons were put to death. Look at verse 21 of, uh, I mean, verse 9 and 10 of 2 Samuel 21. Okay. 2 Samuel chapter 21, 9 to 10b. So they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of the harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Rispa, 
the daughter of Ayah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock. From the beginning of the harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. Yes, not only were her sons persecuted or, or hanged mercilessly, it was beyond even the law of God. According to the law of Moses, any dead body was supposed to be brought to the tomb by sundown. But here, you see, for five months, because the beginning of, of uh, harvest is around March, around March, April, and the first rains, the, the rains come in about October. So about for five months, she saw these bodies decay, decomposing. Imagine, that was the distress that she was going through in her suffering. Sometimes our sufferings seem as if it has no end. It seems as if it is going to go on. When will an end come to the suffering? Not only was she distressed, she was also desolate. Her suffering came with a sense of abandonment. There was nobody there around her. Maybe her maidens were there to help her out. But you don't see uh, Merab coming there or, or uh, Mikal coming there. Because she was not only guarding the, the bodies of her own sons, but there were five other grandsons of Saul whose, whose uh, mother was Merab or Michal had adopted them as the Bible says. In whatever ways, you see, she was alone guarding those bones. She was there alone. She felt abandoned. Sometimes our sufferings make us feel abandoned. But in all this, where was God? We sometimes ask in our suffering, God, where are you? I'm suffering over here. This is going on. I don't see a solution to it. Where are you? The truth is, God is not silent. He's not a weak father. He's not, a, he's not somebody who wants to cover away in the midst of suffering. But he's somebody who's long-suffering. He's God who's long-suffering. What is long-suffering? It is a long passion. Waiting sufficient time before expressing Anger, retribution, whatever it may be. God is a God who holds himself back. Man wants retribution. You see those people, Gibeonites, they wanted retribution. They took cover under the shadow of the law and they said, listen, these guys took our blood. We want blood from that house. But God is so patient, not only to everyone who's outside, but to the ones inside his wealth, his commonwealth as well. He's patient in his long-suffering towards you and me. How was God long-suffering in this passage when you look? God is long-suffering when the saint becomes faint. When the saint becomes faint, God is long-suffering. See, David was someone who was not just a casual approacher to God. David always sought the counsel of God. If you look at 1 Samuel 23, verses 10 to 12. 1 Samuel 23, verses 10 to 12 from NKJV. Then David said, O Lord of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord of Israel, I pray, you tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, 
will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. You see the kind of dialogue that is happening with, between Saul and uh, between uh, David and God. David says, God says. David says, God says. When he was stranded, he sought God's counsel. When he was looted in 1 Samuel 30 verse 8. Reads, 1 Samuel 30 verse 8. So David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. You see, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake? He said, you will pursue, you will overtake. And he even over answered that question. He said, you will recover as well. So David was always used to hearing God and acting according to what God had said. If you, even if you look when he came to become king, 2 Samuel 2 verse 1, when he knew that he was going to be established as king over Judah, what did he do? 2 Samuel 2.1 It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said to Hebron. You see how specific God was becoming with David. God, shall I go up? Yes, you go. Where should I go? This place, Hebron. You see, David was not somebody who would scarcely seek God. Oh God, early will I seek you in a desert land where there is no water. That was what he wrote in his psalm. In a desert where I would seek water, I don't want water, I want you God. That is how desperate David used to get. But here what do you see? He seeks the matter from God. God, what is the matter? And God says, it is because of the bloodthirsty house of Saul. That is the matter. But what does he do? He doesn't go and ask the manner from God. He seeks the manner from men. He goes to the Gibeonites. Look at verse 1 of 2 Samuel 21, verse 1, the second part. Yeah, 2 Samuel, verse, uh, I mean, chapter 21, 1b to 2. David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord said, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house. Because he killed the Gibeonites. Here he asks of the matter. And what does David do for the manner? Verse 2. So, so the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Yes. And then he asks them, what, should, what do you want? And they said, we want this. He said, we will do. In other words, he became a hearer of God's word and a doer of man's word. God is long-suffering even at this point of time. When saints become faint, God is still long-suffering. It's a very dangerous position to be when I am a faint saint. When I am leading my family, I ask counsel from God and then I act upon my own ways. It's a dangerous place. It calls uncalled suffering. Not only for me, but for the people around. In my ministry, if I hear from God and act in my own ways, it becomes a challenge and a suffering for many. When a nation, when a leader of a nation hears from God and decides to act in the way of others, it puts a nation 
in Japadi. It calls for uncalled suffering. How else was God long-suffering there? God was long-suffering when that which is supposed to be in slavery wants mastery. You see, the existence of Gibeonites itself was a result of Israel not consulting the will of God. They were supposed to be destroyed, but they came in deceitfully. Look at Joshua chapter 9, verse 14. Joshua 9, 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. These provisions, Gibeonites had brought them and said, listen, this is old bread. See the stale bread? We started journey long back. We are from a faraway land. We are not your neighbors. This is stale bread. It was a bread of deceit. They said, this, look at, your, look at, our, look at our footwear. It's gone stale. It's gone torn. Our clothes are torn. We are people coming from a faraway land. Enter into a covenant with us. And Israel readily goes into a covenant. And what happens? They become cursed. Who? The Gibeonites. Look at verse 23 of Joshua 9. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be freed from being slaves, woodcutters, and water carriers for the house of my God. Yes, they were supposed to be slaves in the house of God. They were supposed to be slaves towards Israel. And now, what was the slaves doing? The slaves were dictating terms concerning the law of God, how it needs to be handled. The slaves were dictating terms. Let's look at Proverbs 30, 20 to 21. Proverbs 30, 20 to 21 from NASB. Under three things, the earthquakes, and under four, it cannot endure. Under a slave, when he becomes, becomes a king, and a fool, when he is satisfied with food. Under a slave, when he becomes king, or when the, what is supposed to be in slavery starts dictating mastery, the Bible says there will be earthquakes. What does that word say? How many of us are sleeping here? The earthquakes, or rather, foundations start becoming disturbed when that which is supposed to be in slavery starts dictating mastery. And God is still long-suffering in all this. But how does that apply to us? You see, we as believers are supposed to have our flesh dead to sin. It is not supposed to have mastery over us. We are not obliged to respond to the demands of our flesh. The Bible warns us that it is a fatal response. When we start heeding to our flesh, it is a fatal response. Look at Romans 8, 12 to 13, the first part of verse 13. Romans 8, 12 to 13, A, NLT. Reads, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. If you live by the dictates of the flesh, you will die. This is written to unbelievers. 
can't hear any of you. Is it written to unbelievers? No. It is written to believers. There is a carnal mind in our old self which seeks the things of the earth. The old man always wants to hold on to the things of earth. The carnal mind is opposed to the things of God. Paul himself says that in Romans 8 verse 7. And it is through this mind that the world wants to stake its claim over us. It is through our carnal mind. It is through our reasonings. It is through our understandings that the world wants to dominate us. That which is supposed to be in slavery opens doors through these ways. And it is this mind, this carnal mind, that prevents us from spiritually discerning things. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 14. But the nature, natural man does not receive things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. A natural man cannot understand what God wants to tell because we want to hear things that please the flesh. But what God wants to do is he wants us to spiritually discern what he wants to say. When I succumb to the dictates of the flesh, I fail to receive what the Spirit of God wants to tell me. This is when the saint becomes faint. And that which is supposed to be have that which is supposed to be in slavery has mastery. When we don't heed to the Spirit of God. Truth is, God is long suffering both to the believer and the unbeliever. When we see all the suffering that is happening, God is restraining Himself not only for the world to turn to Him, but also for the church to be more closer to him. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3 to no, verse 9. Verse 9. Version. The Lord does not delay and is not tardy or slow about what he promises. According to some people's conception of slowness, but he is long-suffering. Let's pause there. He is long-suffering. Continue, brother. Towards you. Towards you. Towards all of you who are having the same precious faith, the Bible is saying God is long suffering towards you. Continue, my brother. Not desiring that any should perish, mm. but all, that all should turn to repentance. Yes. To the believer, God is long suffering unto sanctification. To the unbeliever, God is long suffering unto repentance to salvation. You see verse 11 of the same Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 11 reads, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be in holy behavior and in godliness? So, verse 14 reads, So beloved, since you are looking forward to these things, be diligent and make every effort to be found by him, spotless and blameless, in peace. Yes. You see, when God is long-suffering, what he expects from us is to have a pattern of daily life that sets us apart, 
a pattern of holiness in holy behavior and in godliness god wants us to be that is why he is long suffering to each of us and look at verse 15 and consider the patience of our lord as salvation yes if you see that explanation over there consider that the patience of our lord his delay in judging and avenging wrongs as salvation that is allowing time for more to be saved god is not silent when injustice happens but he is holding himself back so that repentance will come and so that you and i also will become more and more aware of his coming how many of us are expectant of his coming faint hands hallelujah so why is god long suffering towards me so that i would make use of this long suffering of god towards growing in godliness towards growing in holy conduct when god is long suffering it is for us to draw closer to him so that i would make every effort to live a life that is blameless and peaceful before him when god god holds back it is for us for our benefit it is not because he is weak and how can i do that look at verse second peter chapter 3 verse 18 but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be glory both now and forever amen yes how can i grow in in holy conduct how can i grow in being blameless grow through our sufferings in the knowledge of god in the grace of god no wonder when paul was having the thorn in his flesh what did what did the lord tell him anyone my my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is perfected in your weakness my grace is sufficient for you paul when you are suffering learn to grow in that sufficient grace that i am giving you my grace is sufficient for you paul i am talking to the pauls here you are suffering but god is long suffering towards you take hold of his grace and grow in it don't remain in the place of complaining amen why is god long suffering god is long suffering so that he may redeem undesirable sufferings through the suffering of his son through the undeniable suffering of his son if we if we just compare that passage if you just compare that passage the sufferings of rispa and those descendants of saul with the sufferings of our savior let's look at verse let's look at the first part see What? they were offered in negligence these sons of or uh, descendants of saul they were they were offered in negligence by david he did not fully seek the counsel of god 
Look at verse 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 4, 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21, sorry. 2 Samuel chapter 21, 4b. So he said, whatever you say, I will do for you. And when they demanded, the king said, I will give them. Whatever you say, he was helplessly succumbing to their demands. These ones were offered in negligence. But what about the son? Look at Acts 2, verse 23. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, mm. you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. You see, the son was delivered according to the full foreknowledge of the father. The Lord was delivered not in helplessness, but knowing fully well the price that it entailed for our redemption. God, in his full knowledge, sent his son. Those ones were offered up in ignorance. This one was given in full knowledge. What about their suffering? They, were, they suffered because their father Saul wanted to exterminate a set of people. These descendants of Saul, why did they suffer? Because, look at verse 5. Of Samuel, Second Samuel 21. Second Samuel 21 verse 5 says, then, the king then they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel. Yes, look, what did Saul want? That they be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel. They wanted, Saul wanted them to be exterminated. What did the father want? Our loving father, what did he want? He wanted to bring many sons to glory. And that is why he sent our save, his, his son as our savior for suffering. Can we say hallelujah? hallelujah? Let's look at Hebrews 2 verses 9 and 10. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. See, it was fitting for him to suffer so that we would come to the knowledge of the glory of God. To bring many sons, God sent his son to suffer. They suffered because the father wanted to exterminate a set of people. The son suffered so that we could come to him. Hallelujah. You see, what about the sin? Let's look at 2 Samuel 21 verse 3. Therefore, David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? The sons were offered up so that the Gibeonites would bless the inheritance of the Lord. The sin of the father, the sin of Samuel was imputed upon the sons so that the inheritance may be blessed. The sin of the father was imputed on the sons so that the inheritance may be blessed. What happened to the son of God? 
the righteousness of the father was imputed upon sinful sons so that we may gain an inheritance through his suffering second corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god in him yes the one who knew no knew no sin became sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of god in him see the price of his redemptive suffering if those ones were going through undesirable suffering this son knowing that he was god still made himself man to suffer for you and i so that our sufferings can be redeemed what else curse was not allowed to rest upon the sons of saul how do i say that look at what rispah did second samuel 21 i will read what did she do in verse 8 no verse 10 now rispah the daughter of aya took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven and she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the field to rest on them by night turn with me to deuteronomy 28 verse 26 your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the birds of the earth and no one shall frighten them away see god while declaring curses he said your carcasses shall be spread over the earth birds of the air will come and feed on it beasts of the earth will come and eat it and there will be no one to chase those away but here rispa was chasing them away saying i will not let the curse of god come upon these bodies i will not let the curse of god come upon these bodies what did what happened to the son he became a curse for us for the sake of his sufferings galatians we are studying that this week this month galatians chapter 3 verse 13 christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree christ became a curse for us for you and me he took all our curses what else their sufferings the sufferings of the sons of saul resulted in dead bones coming together a restoration of the memory of the father and a temporal end to famine look at verse 13 and 14 second samuel 13 20, chapter 21 13 and 14 reads so he brought up the bones of saul and the bones of jonathan his son from there and they they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged they buried the bones of saul and jonathan his son in the country of benjamin in zela in the tomb of kish his father so they performed all that the king commanded 
and after that god heeded the prayer for the land yes you see when 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 david observes this what does he do he remembers the covenant that he had made to saul that his name will not be cut off saul's body was buried not in the tomb of his father in fact the people of jabesh gilead if you see in that passage had buried them somewhere else in bethshean right so david remembers and he brings back the body the bones of saul and the bones of jonathan and then he takes the bones of these descendants and he buries them in the tomb of the father of saul so as to say that the name of saul was not cut off people could remember where saul was what does the suffering of the son of god do for you and me he suffered his suffering led to living stones coming together if the sons of the descendants of saul their suffering brought dead bones together the suffering of the son brings us as living stones look at first peter chapter 2 first peter 2 verses 4 and 5 coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men but chosen by god and precious you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ what is the value of the living stone in that verse what does it say rejected indeed my by men but chosen by god and precious you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house tell your neighbor you are being built up you are a living stone how many sleeping stones here sleeping stones somebody raise their hand we are all living stones chosen remember you are chosen you are precious to god and god is long suffering towards you and i so that we will come to him to be built up indeed by him so that we would become what he intends us to be which is what a holy priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices offering up spiritual sacrifices what we did here in the beginning that was a spiritual sacrifice when we worshiped him with all our heart what we sang god i give you yes i give you my i live for world alone you alone every breath that i take how many of us meant it when we sang lord have your way in me when we sing it let us sing as we mean it let it not be just empty words that is how we become the living stones that's how we offer spiritual sacrifices lord i want to do this i have so many desires in me but lord have your way in me your suffering i value it that is how we respond to his suffering let's not let's not neglect his suffering when we worship him let's acknowledge his suffering so that we will offer up sacrifices that are acceptable to him amen let all that are sleeping say hallelujah 
Got you there? So how do we respond to suffering? How do we respond to suffering? When we go through undesirable circumstances, when we feel disadvantaged, when we feel distressed, when we feel desolate, when we feel as if everything is forsaken, how do we face suffering, especially in the face of the suffering of the Son of God? How do we face suffering? 1 Peter chapter 2, 19 to 23. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully for by for what credits is it if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently but when you do good and suffer if you take it patiently this is commendable before god yes let's pause there what is the bible saying it is commendable twice it says it is commendable because when you do good and suffer it is commendable before god look at the second part for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth? Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Yes. How do I respond when I am disadvantaged? When I do something right and I am suffering for the reason of the choice. The Bible is saying, consider heaven's approval. That which you are suffering, God is commending it. Consider heaven's approval. Do not shy away from that place of disadvantage. Merab did not want to come to that place of suffering. Only responded. The other daughter of Saul did not come there. I don't know, maybe she was in self-pity. Maybe she didn't want to see that suffering. Do not shy away from that place of suffering. Consider the commendation of God. Also, do not remain in the place of suffering like Lot. In Second Peter it says, Lot, his soul was vexed when he saw all that was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah. When they were doing all the unrighteous things, his soul was vexed, his soul was suffering, but he chose to remain there. Let us choose and discern where we need to remain. And consider, just as we read, consider the example of Christ. What did Christ do? He did not revile when he was reviled. He did not threaten when he was threatened. But what did he do? He committed himself to God's righteous judgment. How do I desire him when I am distressed? When I go through distresses, how do I desire him? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us, in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Yes, when we are in suffering, let's learn to receive God's comfort. 
Paul is distressed over there and he's saying in all this there is a God who is of all comfort he comforts me in my distresses so that I will be able to comfort others and how is he able to comfort others if you look at verse 11 of that same passage you are also helping together in prayer for us yes through corporate prayer you are helping us that is how i am able to receive the comfort i am able to endure the sufferings when i pray along with someone how else also through individual prayer how do i receive the comfort of god james 5 verse 13 13 ac reads is anyone among you suffering let him pray let us not neglect the place of prayer especially when we are going through suffering how else through his word the comfort of his word psalm 119 verse 50 this is my comfort in my affliction for your word has given me life this is my comfort in my sufferings your word gives me life the word that i hope on lord it gives me life let us seek his word in our sufferings how else how do i desire him when i am desolate and helpless look at second corinthians chapter 4 verses 8 to 10 From when NL- paul was being suffering what did he do we are pressed on every side by troubles but we are not crushed we are perplexed but not driven to despair we are hunted down but never abandoned by god we get knocked down but we are not destroyed through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of jesus so that the life of jesus may also be seen in us in our bodies yes you see there is a tipping point over there we are pressed but we are not crushed we are perplexed but we are not driven to despair we are hunted down but we are never abandoned we get knocked down but we are not destroyed there is a faithfulness of god that keeps us in the place of suffering beyond so that we don't suffer beyond what we are called to endure rely on the power of his spirit look at that verse last part through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of jesus so that the life of jesus may also be seen in our bodies the resurrection power of christ that comes through the spirit of god it becomes evident in our lives when we suffer that is how we go through desolate moments rely on the spirit of god also the next part second peter chapter 4 first peter chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 so then since christ suffered physical pain you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too for if you have suffered physically for Christ you have finished with sin you don't you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires but you will be anxious to do the will of God look at that verse when Christ suffered you arm yourself with that same attitude and be ready to suffer Look at that second part if you suffered physically for Christ you have finished with sin you won't spend the rest of your lives 
chasing your own desires, but instead there will be an anxiety in you to do the will of God. Suffering refines us towards the will of God. Suffering refines us to face every situation to discern, God, what is your will in it? Our flesh will not dictate its terms. That is how God redeems us through sufferings, so that we will know where to place our desires at the foot of the cross. Romans 8, and concluding, Romans 8, verses 17 to 19. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, as we are heirs of God's glory, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children are, really are. Yes, if we are to, if we are his heirs, we are heirs of God's glory, then we are also to share in his suffering. And the Bible is telling, whatever we suffer through now, whatever it is, the pains that we are going through, it is nothing compared to the glory that God will reveal in each of us. There is an expectation of creation waiting over there when God will reveal who you and I are really are. And how does God perfect it? God redeems my undesirable suffering so that I can share in his sufferings to establish my identity as who? As not one who is shaped by the world, but as one who is an heir of Christ. I want us to rise up as I call on the choir. There are suffering that you and I are going through. Any of us are going through very undesirable places in our lives where we feel distressed, where we feel desolate. Things that seem very hard for us to bear. All eyes closed. All eyes closed. If there is such kind of suffering, Today there is grace of God available. We saw how God sent his son to redeem us of sufferings. Let's look at that song. We don't need to look at the song, the choir will minister. We can be in an attitude of prayer. If you're going through un unbearable torments, remember, God is here to strengthen you and I. At the foot of the cross, if you want God to, to strengthen you in the place of your suffering, me. if anyone wants to come forward and take strength from God, you have shown me your love through the judgment you receive. And you've won my heart. If anyone wants to come forward and take 
everyone wants to find new strength in God and you and your. my heart Now I can Trade these ashes in for beauty And wear forgiveness like a crown Coming to kiss the feet of mercy I lay my burden down At the foot of the cross At the foot of the cross I am made complete You have given me life have given me life through the death you bore for me and you've won my heart and you've won my heart now I can Break these ashes in for beauty And wear forgiveness like a crown Coming to kiss the feet of mercy I lay every burden down I lay Seventy-one says, "It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your status." Paul was telling the Corinthian in Second Corinthians twelve, verse nine, and he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly." I will rather boast in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Let all eyes close. I still want to give you the chance to make a decision right now. This is an opportunity for you to meet God. To repent your sins and begin a new life with Jesus. You want to give your life to Jesus? You want to submit to Him? You might be passing through challenges. Today's message is telling you that even in suffering, God will strengthen you. If you really want to give your life to Jesus, if you are making that decision, I want you to say this after me. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. Forgive me my sins. Wash me with your blood. I believe you died for me 
And on the third day, you rose again. That I might be justified. Right now, I believe that my sins are forgiven. I'm justified by your blood. I am born again. I'm safe. I'm a child of God. I'm free from the power of sin to serve the living God. Say thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. Thank you, Jesus, for restoring me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Whatever challenges you are facing, whatever situation that you are facing, God is at work for you. He wants you to grow in his knowledge. He wants you to grow in his holy knowledge. To grow in that undeniable suffering of his son Jesus Christ. Don't just have interest of what the word is saying. You have been choosing as a living stone. Allow God to have his way in your life. Father, we want to thank you for today's message. We want to appreciate you that once again you remind us of your long suffering. We want to appreciate you and thank you for reminding us that you are in all situations. That all we need is to submit to you. We lift your name all we glorify you, Lord. Blessed be your holy name in the mighty name of Jesus. The purpose of today's message, you know it for my life, you know it for brethren's life. Father, we pray that that purpose shall be fulfilled in the mighty name of Jesus. And for your son that you have used for all this day, we pray for more anointing in the mighty name of Jesus. Let your spirit, your Holy Spirit, continue to dwell in his life in the mighty name of Jesus. Blessed be your holy name, Lord. Bless him, bless his family. Bless the hand, the work of his hand. Bless people that surround him. Bless the congregation that he's ministering to. In the mighty name of Jesus. And may your name always be glorified. In the mighty name of Jesus. Blessed be your holy name, Lord. Father, as we depart this place, go along with us in the mighty name of Jesus. This week is another blessed week. Lord, we pray that whatever we go through, you will always be there for us in the mighty name of Jesus. And when we return by next week, we will have testimony to the glory of God in the mighty name of Jesus. Blessed be your holy name, Lord. I cover each and every one of you with the blood of Jesus. And that blood will shield you from all evils in the mighty name of Jesus. And you will continue to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Let us share the grace together in fellowship. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, God goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you and do have a wonderful week. Newcomer, just outside this door. Thank you.